All right, well, good morning and happy new year. Hope that you are just excited about the start of a new year. And at the same time, as Pastor Brandon was walking us through, you're just reflecting back and just saying how grateful you are to the Lord for all that he has done and then expectantly for what he will do. Uh, if we have not met, my name is uh, Charlie. I'm blessed to serve as one of the pastors here at West Cabarrus and excited to have the opportunity and humbled uh, to be the presenter of God's word for us this morning. I want to invite you to grab your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 6, and uh, we'll be getting there in just a moment. Uh, if you have something to take notes with, you might want to. We're going to uh, go through this, this passage and give a few details, help you, hopefully uh, provide some understanding to it as well. Uh, you heard Pastor Ryan uh, just now point us to next Sunday, and I just want to uh, echo those words and encourage you, uh, if possible, to be present uh, for that. If you're uh, not able to be here this Sunday or watching online, uh, I encourage you to find your way here next week. We'd love that. And just the opportunity to launch into this next year uh, with just the blessing of God on us, we ask, and that uh, we would go in one vision towards that. So, uh, Going into a new year, everyone kind of starts, or we at least have this thought of New Year's resolutions. And just curious for thought, uh, we'll poll the audience this morning. How many of you go, I have New Year's resolutions that I start each year? Poll of the audience. Okay, good. All right. The rest are like lying. Some of you do. And the others are like, I'm unwilling to admit it because I haven't met them. So I thought we'd start this morning by since... Evidently, most of you don't have resolutions and so forth. I'd like to give you some that you should try. All right, so this is for kids. These first four are for kids and parents. You can nudge gently with elbows if you agree. Uh, but for kids, first resolution I would suggest is this, that you won't give yourself any more unsanctioned haircuts. Okay? Put the scissors down. All right? Second that you will make the resolution to no longer, that you will color on paper and not the walls. Yep, it's getting noisier. Number three, that you will try to eat an occasional vegetable without bribery. It's going to be real at lunch today. And then finally, that you will sleep in your bed all night long. There it is. Somebody needs some rest, all right? Now, kids, feel free to look at your parents on the following if needed, all right, because they may need some support in this, but parents, or should I say, let's just call us adults in the room, uh, one good resolution to consider is to pick fewer internet fights this year, all right? Uh-huh, you're snickering, you know you're guilty, all right? Number two, that uh, you vow to only communicate exclusively in memes, if you're looking around going, what's a meme, ask someone that's in their 30s or younger. They'll help you with that. It's a language by itself. It's amazing. All right? Also, a third one will be that you will finish at least one of your do-it-yourself projects that you started last year. Okay? At least get a check mark by one. And then fourth, that you will not waste your money on a gym membership that you don't plan to use more than two visits. All right? <laughs> Let's try and keep it... All together, But no, this morning I want us to put uh, before us, though, what I would like to call, and if, you, if you'll go with me for this morning and our time together, though, is perhaps even a spiritual resolution that we would start the first day of the year, if, if you need a day to start, 
But if nothing else, maybe today's the day you kind of draw a line, maybe put your foot down, and you do something that is of what I would call the greatest value and importance that you cannot afford not to accomplish. And that would be this, that you would set the resolution to do all things to the glory of God. And we want to look this morning at what that looks like. God is, we say, the founder, creator, maker, and sustainer of all. And we must set our priority to living and doing all for his glory. As a church, we've made this the very foundation of our mission statement. We say that West Cabarrus Church exists to glorify God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. And we easily get stuck on the how. We, we love to get stuck on, okay, how am I going to do this? What does it look like to check the box of making this happen? And this morning, I just want us to take the next minutes and just focus on what God's glory looks like from Scripture. And then what's our personal responses to this? How do we, as believers, and maybe if you're sitting here today or watching online today as a non-believer and having questions and going, what does it look like for me to live for God's glory? And so with that, I invite you to look at Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And uh, just for the reverence of this passage, would you join me in standing today for the reading of God's word? Here's what the word of the Lord says to us today. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to the people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Let's pray together. Father, we come to this place in this passage, and Father, quickly recognize uh, that, Lord, apart from your help and understanding, we can't fathom what we just read. And Lord, we ask that you would just make us hearers and give us attentive hearts to how you would speak to us. Lord, give us a glimpse of your glory this morning, please. Help us to see you for who you are. Take away the filters, the fog, the distractions. Oh, that we would see Jesus today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Now, for those of you that are new to the Bible, and even perhaps this passage of Isaiah, 
Uh, Isaiah was a prophet that God used greatly in the kingdom of Judah about 700 years before Christ. So it'd be roughly about 700 BC. And when God called him to be a prophet, he granted him this vision of seeing God, who he was, seeing God in his heavenly temple. And the first thing this morning I want to put before us is just to look at God's glory this morning, and specifically to look at God's glory in his majestic holiness. Look at God's glory and just take in for a moment his majestic holiness. And and in this section here, there's nothing for us to apply. I want to invite you, I'm going to give some details and, and try to unpack a little bit of this scripture, but I just want you, if you will, to take in for a moment and try to go to where the Lord allowed Isaiah And just go, what would this have looked like? He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, that was in the 8th century there. 2 Chronicles 26 gives us the biography of Uzziah. He was the king of Judah for 52 years, starting from the time he was 16. We see in this passage that Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. And if you will, there are two different labels of Lord that are in this passage. We have one here in verse 1, and then we have one in verse 3. You'll notice the one in verse 1 here, his capital L, lowercase o-r-d. That refers to the title of God, or who he is as Adonai. And that means he is exalted and supreme. He is the most high God, is the name that was given to the one that was absolutely sovereign. In verse 3, when we see the name Lord completely capitalized, it is his name, Yahweh. It was of such holy regard that it was even when written in the scriptures, scribes would start with new pens and cleanse themselves every time upon writing the name of God. And so Isaiah not only gives us the title of God as being the most supreme, but he gives us his holy name of Yahweh. We see the image that the Lord is seated on the throne, and it reveals seated on the throne. He is the established king. He's not one that just arrived or was newly elected. No, he is established. And he's not pretending. No, he belongs. He is the ruler of it all, and he is seated in his right place. We also see that he is mentioned as high and lifted. The elevation of a throne would illustrate the power and might of the position and the one who sits on it. The Lord's throne is high and lifted, pointing to the fact that he is the most holy. He is the greatest of authority. He looks down upon all other authorities. If your mind can go with you here for a minute, he looks at all the rulers and authorities of this world, and his gaze is looking downward, not upward at a single one. There is no one higher And you would be right to imagine this throne to stand at the, if you stood at the base of this throne, you would be looking up, perhaps uh, such a height that you're looking to go upstairs, because the height and the ascension of this is of such great honor. It would even be that to look up, you know, as we understand height dimensions, that he was, as the scripture says, he looks down on us, not because of our littleness, but because of his grandeur and his authority and who he is. If you want to study further on part of this, you can go to Revelation chapter 4 and you'll see John's description. 
unique enough, John's description of seeing this very place was 700 years after Isaiah's writing in time. We also find that in this place, in verse 1 here, it says, The train of the Lord's robe, his royalty, it filled the temple. The very train, the, the hems of the garment filled the place. It says the train of a ruler's robe is a measure of his status. It's, they are judged, rulers are judged by the stuff, stuff and substance of their clothing. God's robe comes over the edge of his throne and down into the sanctuary and it fills the temple. Might even be that if one were even allowed to walk into his presence, they would have to skirt the edges of it because that train filled it. The entire place of worship was barely enough to contain the royalty of the hem of God's garment. Are you starting to see the imagery here? You're probably finding it maybe a little bit of a stretch going, I've never seen such a thing. Of such royalty, of such power. And then we come to a part that we see the description of a seraphim. It's the only place in scripture we see them mentioned. Uh, but these angelic type creatures that says they had six wings. Listen to these, what the, how Isaiah describes these creatures. Uh, the word seraphim, it means to burn. And these creatures are suitable for their environment. Just as God created birds to be, have wings and light bone structures, fish have scales and tails to maneuver through the water, seraphim have an anatomy that is functional in the environment for which they live which is the presence of God. Listen to how Isaiah describes the wings. It says, with two, he covered his face. Why would he do that? I encourage you to look later at Exodus 33, verses 17 through 23, where we find Moses asked that he could see the Lord. He said, Lord, that I might see you, to see your face. He said, I've seen your miracles and your hands so clearly at work, but God, I want to see your face. But God said he didn't understand what he was asking. See, God let Moses have a momentary glance at his back, looking through the very crack or the cleft of a rock, and it nearly blinded him. But he said, "If you can't look on my face, because no one can look at my face and live. Why would that be? Because the holiness and the glory of God is of such grandeur and perfection that fallen creation cannot even take it in. You see, the problem is not with the eye. It's with the soul. In the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, we see God saying, Who can see him? Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. You see, creatures were created to live before the face of, of God. They must be designed to endure it. Even heavenly beings had to close or protect their eyes from seeing the holiness that is God. It says with two, they covered their feet. Feet are symbols of creatureliness if you will. Exodus 3, Moses was told by the voice in the burning bush to take off your shoes for the ground that you were walking on is holy. What made the ground holy there? It sure wasn't Moses. It, wasn't, it was the fact that he was in the presence of God. And Moses' feet represented that he was of the dust, just as we are. And even the feet of angels represent that they are creatures. 
Isaiah tells us the other two wings were for flying. Do you see it? Such holiness that even heavenly created beings cannot take it in. But yet, what's their response? Well, what is their response when they come into this place of taking in such a place, such a room, such a presence of Almighty God? Is that all they can do is call to one another and say, look at the scripture again in verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And they would repeat the phrase over and over. Their message was to proclaim God's glory, his weightiness, his substance, his majesty. And it's his glory that provokes the angels to sing holy. You may wonder, why three times? No other phrase in scripture do we have three times. It's like if you're typing a paper to use the italic or bold. To say something three times is to take it to a superlative or a perfect tense. It was the greatest amount of emphasis that something could be given. And so they just say it over and over. There's no other greater word to say of God than holy. No other attribute of God is praised like this. Not his love, his mercy, his justice, or even his sovereignty, but holy holy. Now to understand God's glory, we have to understand this core attribute that God is holy. Something that we can say of no one or nothing else. He's holy. And even our own souls struggle to fathom what this might be other than to describe it going, it's perfect. Let me if I may give you a little bit of description of this word holy. It means to be distinct, separate, unique. Holiness, when applied to God, means that he is utterly unique, incomparable, matchless, without parallel and without peer. He's not like anything or anyone we could come up with. He is above and beyond. He is so different and so rare that no one in the Bible failed to crumble in fear when they came into his presence. The people that you may hold in value when you read scripture and go, these were godly people. Yet when they came into the presence of holy God, they fell to their faces. Richard Lentz, a writer for the Gospel Coalition, defines holiness of God as the absolute moral purity of God and also the absolute moral distance between God and his human creatures. It was the moral distance and his purity but it was also how far removed he is. You see, true knowledge of God and his character is essential for salvation. If we don't know that God is holy, we will never understand how to properly grieve over our sin. And I believe a right understanding of God's holiness is what puts us in right perspective. It's what if, to be honest, you may very well find yourself in a place comfortable with the things of this world, even perhaps sin in your own life or things that you know offend God, but go, you know what, they just don't bug me. And I would put before you just the image of God's holiness for a moment. Because I don't believe we can stand in the presence or even gaze into the eyes of who God is, his glory, his eminence. And to be content and at peace with any part of sin in our life. 
What was Isaiah's response? Isaiah goes on to tell us, the earth is full of the Lord's glory. Why was it? Why is it? Because he owns it all. Abraham Kuyper said it this way, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And so Isaiah's response is this, as he keeps looking down, as he sees the foundations of the thresholds shake at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. You see, if the image of God's holiness is not enough to provoke praise from humanity that is created in the image of God, then even the structures of wood and stone have the good sense to shake and be moved in the presence of God. The smoke reveals the Lord's presence is not just on the throne, but throughout his dwelling. The shaking and the smoke symbolize God's holiness as it relates to his wrath and his judgment. To stand in such presence would draw anyone to the place of conviction and awe of such glory and power. Can you fathom this for a moment? Just let the thought reign. In the holiness of a king set on high, a robe that completely fills, angelic creatures flying around and all they can say is holy. It'd be like going and seeing the, most, the best sunset you've ever seen. And only for that to touch the glimpse of the glory and majesty of God. And your only response is, my goodness. And yet, the presence of God, the ground shakes. Because it must respond. It cannot sit at peace with him who is so holy. And so, this New Year's Day, I don't know if you find yourself right with the Lord or separated from the things by the things of this world but i beg of you to recognize the one who is holy the one true god and in the reverent fear of the lord that we would come to the beginning of knowledge so what is isaiah's response to this isaiah's response in verse 5 is this he says woe is me for i am lost I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Our second thing today, God is glorified in my repentance. You see, when Isaiah discovers who he is, he issues a statement of doom on himself, a curse, if you will. You see, the first time he saw he, excuse me, he saw who God is was the first time he truly saw who he was. He saw that he had a dirty mouth, and his dirtiness was epidemic, even pandemic. He saw his sin for what it truly was, gross offenses committed against the holy God, and thus his statement of woe, or unworthy am I to be here in such presence. Woe is a word that means great sorrow or distress. If you look at your scripture, when he says, woe is me, there's an exclamation mark. It's almost a crying out as he's before the Lord in such holiness. And he goes, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in, among a people of unclean lips. There was not a contentment. There was a humility. 
and a recognition of who he was. And he confesses before God. Even the dirtiness of the people of his world he lives in is sinners. And how did he come to this conclusion? He says it again. Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. My friends, as long as our gaze is fixed on the people and world around us, we'll have no problem with ourselves. In fact, it probably won't take long to arrive at a place of optimism and content and with the goodness you see within and going, well, <laughs> at least we aren't that bad. It's easy to play that comparison game. But oh, if we lift our eyes today to see the holiness of who God is, I dare say a glimpse and we'll be broken. The security and personal pride are blown out of the water if it's not founded in Christ. Good men are reduced to trembling with one glimpse of God. Dare we take a glimpse today and say, oh God, show us your glory. And then in verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. You see, in order for Isaiah to remain in the presence of God, his sin had to be dealt with. It is not possible to exist in a relationship with the Lord and for sin to be prevalent and continual. God's holiness does not allow this. And so for Isaiah to remain, his sin had to be dealt with. And so there's a burning coal that is placed on him. We, you might go, good grief, that's, that's pretty harsh. I would describe that as mercy. God's holiness actually would demand possibly Isaiah's life. God gave mercy. It's hard mercy. But you can almost hear from the singeing of the flesh, that coal hitting there. Maybe even a muffled scream of Isaiah is the tinging of the pain, though, as his sin is forgiven and his guilt taken away and atoned for. And yet you go, okay, Pastor Charlie, you saying we're going to have some hot embers handed out here shortly? No, there's a beautiful thing for us today, and that is we sit here with even more grace and mercy than was granted to Isaiah because we have the sacrifice of Christ that has already stood in our place. He bore the figurative hot coal for us when he went to the cross. You see, the work of Isaiah was setting up God's greatest rescue plan of doing what we could not, and that was to be saved from our sin and be righteous before the Lord. Let me say that again. Our greatest need is to be saved from our sin and to be righteous before the Lord. Please see, my friends, the holy God who is seated upon his throne, he did what? Instead of giving vision to us, no, he, all these hundreds of years before Isaiah and the ones after, did what? We see the repetition. God's people tried to do it. They failed. Why? Because they flounder in their sin. And ultimately, God showed up in the person of Jesus Christ as we just celebrated this past week in Christmas. And so, holy God, watch this, please don't miss, the same God that we're talking about that exists in the holy of holies in that temple, high and lifted up, set his robe and his crown to the side and descended into his creation and said, 
you can't figure this out, nor can you atone for your own sin. So I will come, leaving holiness and the heavenlies, and I will come and taking the place of a servant, and I will yield my life that your sin and wickedness might be atoned for. My goodness. The image of such holiness, but yet looked at you and I and said, you're lost in your sin and transgressions. And you need a savior, and I'm the only one who can save you. And so instead of lives being yielded, God said, I will yield my life one sacrifice for all. And so we see God taking on our wrath and our judgment. And then we come just multiple passages, but I want to just point our attention to 1 John 1, 9 for a moment, where John writes, he says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It means to cleanse us from all of our evil things that we did to separate us from God. Those things, those temptations, those places we fall. It says if we confess our sin, he's faithful. Repentance, glorifying God in repentance is this. To confess where you have sinned and fallen short of God's glory and to turn from that and to say, I accept the sacrifice of Christ given on my behalf. God's promise to our repentance is that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. You see it in the scripture. You go, you don't understand what I've done. You don't know how I've fallen. You're right, I don't. God does. And he's seen it, he watched it, and he knows it. And he says, I died for that, that you might be righteous. It's all of our sins. God knows us at our very core and the very worst of who we are are and have been. His justness means that the consequences of our sin brings are not necessarily removed, but the death penalty that they deserve is. And then he says that you would be cleansed from all unrighteousness. You know what that means? If we confess our sins and we lose the unrighteousness, that's the exact same thing that happened to Isaiah right there. When the coal touched his lips, is to, not, to lose the unrighteousness means that God has given righteousness. And that makes one suitable to stand in the presence of God. Please don't miss this. It's not because all of a sudden we became righteous enough, but it's because the identity of Christ, sacrifice, becomes our identity, and because of his identity, we can stand before Almighty. And I would just point you to this. If you find yourself today going, woe is me, would you come to the place of repentance that says, Lord, I want to glorify you first by just purging and getting rid of my sin. I want to confess you as Lord. I want to ask you to change me. I would tell you, if you're here and you have questions about that, we have a next steps area in the back of the room. There'll be someone there that would love to speak with you, answer those questions. Pastors will be available after the service. But don't start the new year with the burden of God is going, hey, there's sin right here and he's pointing at it. And just move on past that. Please deal with that before the Lord. So God is glorified in our repentance. Believer, repent often. 
Glorify the Lord in repenting and being pure of your sin. But then we find God is also glorified in our living on mission. God is glorified in our living on mission. Look at verse 8 with me. He says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. After seeing God and then being purified of his sin, Isaiah hears the Lord ask, Who will go as a messenger to display and tell the greatness of the Lord? Isaiah can't help but respond in verse 8 after seeing the holiness of God, being purified of his sin. His only response, no matter what the task might be, is, here I am, send me. It wasn't that he was some super spiritual person, but it was in light of God's presence, God's holiness, and now the purifying work that he did in his life, there was nothing else but to yield his whole life back and to say, here I am, send me, do with me what you will. My life is yours. And we can all, all of us can quickly remember a memorable moment in our life when we experienced something so amazing that you couldn't wait to tell about it, right? Whether it was a sporting event or something in creation you saw or a funny thing that happened, you saw it. Man, there was a list of people you got to get to quick. You got to see this. Man, this is awesome. Because what? Things are more fun when you share it. A moment isn't super funny sometimes unless you get others to laugh with you. But whatever it was, you were so engrossed by it that the news had to be shared. Isaiah has been so gripped by the image of God and being in his presence. He says, send me, I'll do it. The question is to us this morning as well. The Lord looks at us every time in his word and he says, whom will I send? Believer, have you offered your life to Jesus and said, Lord, here I am, send me? You might go, well, yeah, I have some. And maybe the question is, yeah, but if I do that, he might send me to some place I don't want to go. Eh, he might. But if it's the God of this Bible that's sending, would we dare take such a stance as to go, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not willing for that. May we be such a people and responsive that says, Lord, where you would desire me to go, I will go. I will do it. Lord, here I am. Send me. The ends of the earth, neighbor across the street, the people in my home. Where is God calling us today to live what I would say is live on mission? To be on mission, I would challenge us to purpose this year, to live on mission. Several places, the first place I'd challenge you is in your home. Men and women, we need lives that are lived for the glory of God in our homes. For the glory of God. You may be married to someone that is not a believer. Can I, can I just encourage you? Live for the glory of God before them. For your children that maybe have not confessed the Lord or are running from the Lord. Live for the glory of God. Hold fast. Be on mission in your parenting, in your ways. As a kid, if you're a child in your home still, purpose to be on mission to honor and glorify the Lord as he calls you as children in your home. Maybe for some of you, your kid, you're a child in a home 
to parents that aren't saved yet. Oh, live for God's glory. Let them see the difference Christ makes. I would challenge you to purpose to live on mission at your job this coming year. If you're a student, your job is at school. Be on mission. Who at your job, answer this question, pick one person right now. Who at your job do you have a burden to see come to salvation in Christ? We have no idea what people see or are thinking. But they're watching. They know the difference between those that claim Christ and those that do not. The world does have an image of us. And they judge us as believers of whether or not we actually believe what we say. And they look at our lives, how we live that out. I would challenge you as you think of who God is putting around you at your job, would you begin praying for that one person? Would you begin praying that God would just, the first thing is God has to speak in their heart. That he would soften their heart to such a place that they would be receptive. And then that he would begin to open opportunities for you to speak of him. Oh, that you would have the great privilege to even one day come to the place of going, let me tell you how Jesus has transformed my life. And not that we would step back and go, oh man, that's awkward. But that we would maybe even in that moment of fear that you might sense, you might just lean in and go, Holy Spirit, speak like never before. I would tell you, parents, remember, your kids are always learning from your example purpose in your homes. I would tell you to live on mission in your entertainment. What you do with your extra time, what you call pleasure, or how you go about vacationing, or the things that you put into your lives, your hobbies, do them to glorify the Lord. Parents, help your kids with this. Let me issue a word of caution. Be careful how much you make sports, performances, and things idols in their lives. They will grow to worship the things that we help them practice. Keep them before the Lord for the glory of his name. I would challenge you to purpose this year to live on mission in your struggles, finally. It's always easier to give God glory where we're in the good seasons. And we can go, God has moved. He's spoken. He's answered my prayers. But oh, to give God glory and to praise his name when the days are difficult, when the needs are great, the agony and the sorrow are deep, when there seems to be no end to the frustrations, when the temptations seem to be more than you can bear, when you're trusting God but still wondering when he will move, when you feel that you are at the end of your rope, whether as a spouse, parent, an employee, or as a person, I beg you, do it all to the glory of God. May it be that as God's people, that in the toughest times, God's people might be purified and resemble that we have been in his presence. We've been purified by his word and by the sacrifice of Christ. Oh, church family, please. Our world needs us to be a light in the darkness. But it's a struggle to see a light when it resembles so much around it at times, doesn't it? May it be that God gives us a hunger for his word. May it be that he gives us a hunger to be a people of repentance that says, God, where there is sin, pick at it, pluck at it. God, purify me. 
Where there's difficulty in my life, God, show me how to live for your glory. Where there's someone that needs you, put me on mission. God, in my home, in the places I'm ready to surrender and go, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. God, hold me up. Do it all to the glory of God. And I believe, I believe, church, I believe God will honor this. And as we go even into next Sunday, and looking at the vision and the direction that we believe God's calling us to pursue this coming year. The platform of starting with doing it all to the glory of God will just be the very foundation for which he works all things for his glory. And so today, I don't know where you find yourself as you hear the words of the scripture. But I pray that you're first caught in awe and wonder of the holiness of who God is. That such a king, such a ruler would look down and say, I love you so much that I would send my son. That he would still have grace and say, I love you. And still say, there's another chance. And out of that, I pray that you would glorify the Lord by repenting. Maybe for the first time, or maybe for the thousandth time. But that you would say, oh God, be glorified, purify, forgive me of my sin. And thirdly, that you would seek to glorify the Lord by living on mission for him. Only you can know between you and the Lord where those places are. Oh, but that we would be attentive and say, God, make me know, and then put me on mission. So what's your goal for this year? I hope they're good, I hope they're right, but I pray at the end of them and all, you would say, my greatest goal is that I would do it all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we just, uh, we thank you for your word. Where we are truly not worthy of your presence, we're not worthy of your ear, your compassion, your grace. And Father, we just pause to declare, Father, you are holy, holy, holy. Lord, I pray that you would, even in this moment of prayer and as we go into a time of worship, God, you would give us the clarity to see you in right perspective. that we would see Jesus and that we would just recognize just the unbelievable grace given to us to be on mission we don't deserve that Lord but I can't figure out why you still forgive me over and over I'm grateful for it I pray Father for those that are here in this place, perhaps watching online, and Lord, even within them, perhaps their, their very heart is burning within them as your Holy Spirit's at work and crying out and saying, come to me. Stop running. Give it up. See who I am and yet allow me to embrace you. Father, I pray right now there would be repentance wherever you are, church family, whether online, 
in this place, I, I would ask you, would you come to the place of just stopping and saying, Father, forgive me. And be specific. Name it. Say, Lord, cleanse me. Help me to turn from this. And then run like never before in passionate pursuit of Christ. For those that are being on, looking to live on mission, and, and this is a, a fresh challenge again, yet, Father, for those places, would you empower them? Would you give us grace? Give us boldness where we lack. When the awkward tension of the moment hits, Father, would you give us a, a prayer and a time of just your presence that just steadies us? Oh, God, give us a steadfastness as your people. But in all things, Father, may we do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.